All right, we're uh, studying the life of Paul. We're getting down to the end of Paul's life on earth. It's an obvious illustration, but we sometimes refer to a seemingly stifling situation as though we are chained to something. For example, someone might radically change careers and say, I didn't want to be chained to a desk anymore. MSNBC recently filmed a documentary series titled Chained to My Ex. Anybody seen that? I, I know it's sacrilege to watch MSNBC, but uh, I thought maybe, you know, in your secret closet moments, you might, you know, actually know there is something other than Fox. Uh, but uh, Chained to My Ex, it's about divorced couples who, for one reason or another, must still live together. One of the taglines says, being married and living together can be unbearable, but being divorced and living together, that can be hell. And so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a fascinating uh, but stupid thing. But anyway, what if you were literally chained to someone? Well, that's the situation Paul found himself in for about two years in Rome. When we last saw Paul, he was under arrest on his way to Rome to appeal his case to Caesar Nero. The ship he was on wrecked. Everyone on board survived, and they made it to land to the island of Melita. While gathering sticks to make a fire, Paul was bitten by a deadly viper. He shook it off and showed no signs of illness, let alone death. More than that, God used him to heal many of the sick on that island. Now, we're rushing through arguably one of the most exciting episodes of Paul's life, but that's because we already know it so well. It's like a favorite scene from a favorite movie. Uh, we want to find out some more new things about Paul, or at least things that are a little bit more obscure. And so we pick up the story with Paul actually arriving in Rome. Acts 28, 16 says, Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Dwell by himself means Paul was not in a prison, uh, not in a cell. He was under arrest, but in a house that he rented, uh, he was under what we would call house arrest. Paul wrote several letters during that first Roman house arrest, uh, probably Philippians and Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon, uh, maybe Hebrews, if you, uh, like we, believe that Paul is the author of Hebrews. In Philippians, he made this fascinating statement. It's Philippians 1, 12 and 13. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And so there's, there's a sense in the Philippian letter that the saints at Philippi were, well, obviously concerned about Paul. They, they knew that he had been, uh, you know, in custody for some years. Now he's still under arrest in Rome. Uh, and, and, you know, it would be like any church gathering. Uh, we would be concerned about that individual. And nobody wants to get the news that, hey, have, what, have you heard about Paul? No, what's going on? Oh, he's under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier. Oh, man, let's pray for him. And so Paul says, yeah, hey, I almost don't want you to worry about me. Now, if you want to pray about me, think of it this way. Everything that's happened is for the furtherance of the gospel. And then he, in his case, gives an example of what he meant. 
talks about the palace guard. Now, this palace guard is what's called the Praetorian Guard. It's the Imperial Guard of Rome. These are, uh, these are bad dudes, uh, for lack of a better term. This guard was an elite corps of soldiers established to guard the emperor of the Roman Empire. Uh, Here's a quote from Vincent's word studies in the New Testament. He says, they were instituted by Augustus and called by him Praetorian cohorts or Praetorian cohorts in imitation of the select troop which attended the person of the Praetor or Roman general. Augustus originally stationed only 3,000 of them or three cohorts at Rome and dispersed the remainder in the adjacent Italian towns. Under Tiberius, they were all assembled at Rome in a fortified camp. They were distinguished by double pay and special privileges. Their term of service was originally 12 years, afterward increased to 16. On completing his term, each soldier received a little over $800. They all seem to have had the same rank as centurions in the regular legions. Uh, Historical references show that they got increasingly more powerful, uh, even to the point of being the ones who really picked the next emperor. Uh, And so this is a very uh, elite group of individuals. Paul had been delivered to the Praetorian Guard to await trial before Emperor Nero, who was about 25 years old at this time. I always think of Nero as a fat old man, like the pizza pizza guy or something, you know, but he's a young kid. He's maybe 25 years old. Paul said of himself that he was bound in chains. And it's interesting, it's one of those areas where Greek words uh, are important to us. Uh, the Greek word for chains is halusis. It's used uh, uh, in a couple of other places to describe this time of his life. And the halusis was a short length of chain by which the wrist of a prisoner was bound to the wrist of a soldier who was guarding him so the escape was impossible. Uh, this would be, uh, you know, like you, maybe you see sometimes on, in a movie or on television where the marshal is transporting a prisoner on an airplane and they're handcuffed together by a short chain or something like that. Now, you've, you always hear it said by, in every Bible study you've ever heard, and I've said it too, that Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Is that true? Well, yes and no. Uh, it's true that he was chained to a Praetorian guard, but probably not 24 hours a day. It would make sleeping weird, for one thing. If you're an elite Praetorian guard, you're not going to say, Paul, are you ready to put your nightshirt on? Let's get dressed together and get ready so we can chain up and lay down together in bed. I, I don't think that's what was going on. Uh, and so, you know, uh, and plus, these guys, you know, <clears throat> they were elite soldiers. Ninja, Krav Magura kind of guys, you know. And Paul was an old Christian, gnarly looking guy. Uh, I don't think he was very dangerous. Uh, It didn't look like he was a flight risk. He's the one who wanted to be in Rome. Uh, You know, he had tons of visitors coming in. So I I think probably, especially the fact that he's doing, this goes on for about two years, that we can safely say that he wasn't actually chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Now, was there a Roman guard always there with Paul in his rented house or accompanying him to the market or to church even? Yes, the answer to that, of course, is yes. But it would be a very relaxed situation. This is uh, easy duty for the Praetorian Guard. Uh, 
His overall situation then was of being chained, and he literally was chained a great deal. Uh, He may have been chained to his bed at night just as a precaution. You never know what those crazy old Christians are going to do, you know, but uh, so just get a feel for what was really going on. But think of it. It is true that in the course of two years, one by one, Praetorian guards would be on duty with Paul. I don't know if they had a 12-on, 12-off shift or three eight-hour shifts or or how they ran it, but they would rotate shifts and um, they would, you know, so he'd have two or three Praetorian guards a day, whether he had the same guard for a period of time or whether they changed their schedules, we don't know, but he probably went through quite a few guys in the period of... Of two years. These guards were therefore under the constant influence of Paul and the gospel. For one thing, Paul had a lot of visitors in Rome. If you read these epistles that he wrote during that time, uh, you see that a lot of different individuals were coming to visit him in Rome and greet him, and uh, they would do things that Christians do when they get together. They would pray together and talk about Scripture, and uh, they would tell Paul what was going on in Colossae and Philippi and Ephesus and things like that, and the Roman soldier would have to, uh, whether he's chained to Paul or not, he would have to hear these things and, and know what was going on. It's interesting, I wonder who was guarding Paul the day he wrote Ephesians chapter 6 when he'd compared the Christian life to the uh, armor of faith, you know, and, and all of that. I wonder, I could just see Paul looking over at his Roman Praetorian guard and saying, hey, I have some questions about your outfit when you're at war, when you're battling, you know, but the helmet, the breastplate, what do you guys call that again? Uh, you know, the girdle, the shoes, describe the shoes to me uh, because I'm, I'm making an analogy between the warfare of the Christian life and, and the, that of a Roman soldier. And you know, uh, you know, when you make... When you start conversations like that, people, they get excited. You talk to a soldier about his soldiering and what it was really like out on the battlefield and his equipment and stuff, they get pretty excited about things like that. And so Paul, I'm sure, took advantage of that. Then there was the whole matter of this guy by the name of Onesimus, a runaway slave. Paul had led his master, Philemon, to faith in Jesus Christ Uh, It's possible that Onesimus uh, knew Paul and knew who Paul was, but at some point, Onesimus had run away from his master, Philemon, and we don't know if he just happened to run into Paul in Rome when Paul was out in the market or maybe, you know, preaching the gospel or something, or whether Onesimus looked him up thinking that he could get help from him. But Paul and Onesimus hooked up And Onesimus was with him for a period of time, helping him out, serving him. But eventually, Paul would write to Philemon, the letter Philemon that we have in our Bibles, and he would return Onesimus to Philemon as his slave under Roman law, but he urged him to forgive him and to receive him not just as a slave and certainly not as a runaway slave, but as a brother in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know, you know, who was on duty during all of that period of time. It was a lengthy period of time. But I suspect this would have been a mind-blowing concept for a Roman soldier, that this Christian gospel would require that the slave, the runaway slave, return to his master, a thing which, depending on what type of slave you were, would certainly mean that you would be beaten severely 
in most cases, and it could mean death. And yet here was Paul, obviously, he had feelings for and, and compassion upon not just the slave, but also his master. And I mean, this is, like a, this is one of those Christian things that non-believers just can't understand. Now, I can see them just you know, questioning Paul, saying, you're gonna send him back to his mat? Aren't you worried about what his mat? No, I'm not worried at all because, I mean, and so this is a fantastic time of ministry. Paul's imprisonment had opened the way for preaching the gospel to the finest regiment in the Roman army. All the Praetorian Guard knew why Paul was in prison and many of them were touched by the gospel. No wonder Paul declared that his imprisonment had actually been for the furtherance of the gospel. The news spread from guard to guard to the families of the guards, then to Caesar's household. Paul ended the Philippian letter by saying, all the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. Caesar's household means his servants and attendants, all those surrounding him in the running of his life and the government. We would say today the state house or the state capital. You know, everybody in the state capital has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it begs the question, was Paul chained to the Praetorian Guard or was the Praetorian Guard chained to Paul? And, and that's the perspective that Paul had, that God had arranged it so that they could be chained to him for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, our problem is, as I think about it, we find it hard to make the comparison between Paul's halusis and our own chain seems almost glorious to be chained to a Praetorian guard and to thereby evangelize Caesar's household. We always seem chained to someone or something much less dramatic or important. But remember, Paul had a lot of episodes in his life that were um, a lot more drastic than this. And so, you know, the fact that towards the end of his life in ministry, God blessed him with this amazing open door, and he still was under arrest. I mean, you know, it was a great opportunity. This is when, you know, we joke sometimes about going to jail for something. Well, we'll have a great prison ministry. Well, yeah, but nobody really wants to have a prison ministry from the inside. You want to you want to be an outsider going into the prison, and so so. But you know, so we have the tendency to say, "Oh, yeah, great, yeah." Paul Paul's able to preach to the elite Praetorian guard. You know, I'm stuck with the old ball and chain or something like that. And we, we don't want to make that comparison. I don't know who or what you are chained to, but unless you are out of the will of God, you really need to adopt Paul's perspective and realize that it or he or she is chained to you for the furtherance of the gospel. The Lord told us to go, and as we're going to share, just to be witnesses to him, and so if we believe that we're somewhere stopped or halted or chained to something or someone, it's still for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, it, it is something in the will of God unless we have chosen to be out of that will. Now, speaking of the furtherance of the gospel, what happened to Paul with regard to his appeal to Caesar? Well, regarding what he wrote in the letters he penned, or reading rather, what he wrote in the letters he penned during that two-year period of time and comparing him to this letter, uh, his later letters, rather, written just before his execution, it gives us some help with the disposition of his case before Nero. In his letter, for example, to the church in Philippi, Paul indicated that he was prepared for whatever happened and he had come to terms with the possibility that he could be put to death. Philippians 1.19 says, 
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my bother, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Uh, so he understood that things could turn out badly for him, but it doesn't sound too pessimistic. And then he went on to write uh, in the next two verses in Philippians 1, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And then in Philippians 2.24, he added, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come to you soon. He expresses that same confidence to his letter to Philemon. In Philemon 1.22, he says, prepare a guest room for me. I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. And so Paul had a sense, uh, seemingly from the Holy Spirit, that he would be released at, for some reason or in some way from this imprisonment. Uh, contrast Paul's optimism in Philippians and Philemon with his certainty of death in his second epistle to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 6, he wrote, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of, has come for my departure. Uh, and so those words probably written during what scholars believe is a second Roman imprisonment. One indication of this is given in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. It says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. <clears throat> also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. One way to interpret those verses is to see the first defense as Paul's trial before Nero uh, in his first imprisonment and his deliverance from the lion's mouth as his release afterwards. So um, there's reason to believe that um, he was released uh, and some later Christian sources, not the Bible, but some other writings support the case that Paul was acquitted and then took the gospel to the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire. Clement of Rome, a guy in his epistle to the Corinthians written in the 90s AD, made the following statement about Paul in the fifth chapter of his little letter. He said, after preaching both in the East and West, Paul gained the illustrious reputation due to his faith, having taught righteousness to the whole world and come to the extreme limit of the West and suffered martyrdom. Uh, for a first century Roman, the extreme limit of the West was Spain. Paul had expressed a desire to travel to Spain in Romans 15. Doesn't seem to have had the opportunity to do so before this imprisonment. And so Clement's statement supports a scenario in which Paul was released after a first trial in Rome and then made a trip to Spain before he was arrested a second time and eventually beheaded. Uh, and then there's several other early writers in the first and second centuries who uh, pick up that same tradition and say uh, flat out that Paul uh, took the gospel to the furthest regions of the Roman Empire at that time, that he took it to Spain. Uh, Chrysostom, for example, wrote about Paul saying, after he had been in Rome, he returned to Spain. And so uh, there's a lot of evidence that uh, Paul, who, if you had asked him, 
during his entire career. You know, they, they, you know, you'd say, hey, where do you want to go next? He says, well, I've never been to Spain. And uh, it, some scholars still say he never got there, but there's good evidence that he did right at the end because the Lord had told him he would get to the furthest reaches of the, of the empire, and he did, and then he was grabbed back, as we'll see next time we're together, and um, arrested a second time, not in a house arrest, but in a dungeon uh, and uh, we believe uh, beheaded at that time. But whether chained or free, Paul remained the prisoner of the Lord and he went about his daily business furthering the cause of the gospel. He believed that, not that it was his business, uh, certainly it was, to further the gospel, but that God was about the business of furthering the gospel through him, whether he was a prisoner or whether he wasn't, whether he was free or, or not. Uh, Paul understood that God wanted to use him and would use him and did use him to further the gospel uh, wherever he was. And I think that's a good attitude to have. Uh, so maybe you feel chained down or next time you do feel like that, um, you know, it may not be a Praetorian guard that you're chained to, uh, but whatever your situation, God can still use it and wants to still use it for the furthering of the gospel. Maybe you won't reach the state house. Maybe you'll just reach your own house. Uh, but uh, that's God's business as he decides where he wants to put you for his good pleasure. Amen.